Want to create memories with your family? Do you have a desire to bring your family closer together? Are vacations lacking that special something you want your family to have? Tropic of Candy Corn is your resource for smarter, sweeter family travel. Learn from other families, be inspired, and encourage others with your weekend getaway and vacation ideas. Tropic of Candy Corn. This isn't a travel sales site. It's something new and different. A community to help bring your family closer through travel. Join us today at www.tropicofcandycorn.com. It's free and it's fun. Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. As you may have noticed, hopefully uh, everybody that's listened to this podcast has picked up on this over the last few months. But uh, we have moved the site to mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Grateful to have you with us today. Today I want to talk about the cost of discipleship. And in what has put this on my mind is uh, I'm recording this at the time that the Disciplinary Council uh, went on with Kate Kelly, uh, where she was excommunicated from the church because of the ordained women uh, website and organization that was pressing upon the church and the general authorities to ask the Lord for priesthood for sisters in the church. And at the same time, there's been uh, some other things going on with, with John DeLynn and with Rock Waterman and Denver Snuffer. And so there, there's been certainly an effort on the part of the church, whether local or at the top, really isn't important to me at this moment for this episode, but but an effort within the church to to draw some lines, to create some boundaries, and to say, hey, you know, to be a faithful, active Latter-day Saint, one has to be at least on this side of this line. And I don't want to get into the right or wrong of each of these situations but simply to say that uh, a couple of things, which is one, I don't feel threatened by this at all. I'm, I'm confident in the church in setting that boundary. And I'm not saying that mistakes don't happen or that leaders make errors or that sometimes somebody is made an example of that perhaps really doesn't fit the definition of what, what they're being tried for. But what I am saying is that in spite of all of that, I don't feel like in any way I'm under a microscope or I need to be extra careful. I feel like myself and this podcast are on the safe side of that line. And I hope that's the reason you listen and hopefully that's the reason you find this podcast to be a blessing to you. I want to talk today about the the cost of discipleship and in a sense... Why do we look at the gospel and expect it to be easy? Why do we expect the church 
to be so inclusive, to be so charitable and friendly and kind as to allow anything, as to allow any type of belief or stance or position or perspective and to still be a faithful Latter-day Saint with that being held. And so I want to share with you several scriptures and stories in the scriptures. And then I want to play for you some thoughts from Elder Holland from the April 2014 General Conference. Let's start with this. There is a a scripture where Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so we sometimes think in the scriptures that Jesus always taught a very comfortable gospel. And yet we have a man here who wants to go and bury his father. There is some speculation whether the father is actually dead or not dead, but that this, but obviously severely ill if he is still alive. And this man, I think, wants to do in a sense, this, this could be seen as the right thing, right? I mean, to go take care of your father, whether he's dying or whether he's passed away and make sure that he's buried properly. And yet the Savior says, let the dead bury their dead. And for this man to come and follow him. That is not an easy choice. That is not a comfortable choice. It is not an obvious thing to say, hey, the guy should have just went and followed the Savior. It it sometimes goes against the grain of what we think is right. Or the picture of what we have of Jesus in our mind. And another story... The Savior was told by someone, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Now think about that. Again, not a comfortable request. He's he's happy to follow the Lord. Just let him go back and say goodbye to his family, right? We send missionaries off on missions. Do they get to say goodbye at the airport? Do they get to hug their parents and their girlfriend and, and their sister and their brothers before they head off on the plane? Do they get to call mom and dad on Mother's Day and on Christmas? Yeah. And yet here we have the Savior saying, look, you don't, we don't have time for this. You can't go back and say goodbye. Let's get going. Follow me. Come on. Again, not the comfortable Jesus that we sometimes expect. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them as he walked along. He saw Levi, 
son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And so there are some examples of people in the scriptures who right away follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we hold these three up, these three stories up as examples of the, of our desire we should have to follow the Lord. And yet I go back to the ones that I already shared where Jesus asked hard things of us. Again, Jesus, we want to paint him as this comfortable God who is all-inclusive, who loves everyone so much that he will cater to their every whim. But this is not the Jesus of the scriptures. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. He also says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I, I often wonder if so many of us want to paint this picture of of Jesus as this all-inclusive, loving God who, again, caters to our every whim. And by creating this picture, we assume that the church should also be all-inclusive and cater to our every whim. In reality, there needs to be boundaries. This gospel is not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to change us. And in order to justify and sanctify us, in order to change us, to become like Christ, in order for his grace to enable us to do that which we cannot do. We have to be pushed and pressed beyond our comfort zone, beyond that which we would normally say, yeah, that that's a good thing to do, that's a loving thing to do, let's do that. And we sometimes need to be pushed into places where we have to do something that seems outside of the norm, outside of our comfort zone, outside of what we think a loving God would call us to do. All in the effort to make us more like him. It's not about God being mean or vindictive or or self-centered or unkind. But rather it's about he knows us so well. He loves us so much that he knows in what areas we need to be pushed so that we can think about and try and do and challenge ourselves in things that we never would have thought about before so that we might become sanctified or changed. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Many look at the leaders of the church and the church itself and say, can anything good come from there? 
the prophets and the apostles are criticized and challenged at every turn for the way in which the church handles those who who press against the boundaries which they set. Is the church mean? Is it cruel? Is it acting uncharitably with unkindness? The answer to that I don't absolutely know for certain. But my guess is, my hope is, that as Christ leads this church, it is indeed pushing us into a place of uncomfortability so that we might change. May I turn for a moment to Elder Holland and his talk from the 2014 April General Conference, The Cost and Blessings of Discipleship. So here we have the burden of those called to bear the messianic message. In addition to teaching, encouraging, and cheering people on, that's the pleasant part of discipleship. From time to time, these same messengers are called upon to worry, to warn, and sometimes just to weep. That's the painful part of discipleship. They know full well that the road leading to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, of necessity runs by way of Mount Sinai, flowing with thou shalt's and thou shalt nots. Unfortunately, messengers of divinely mandated commandments are often no more popular today than they were anciently. Hate is an ugly word. Yet there are those today who would say, with the corrupt Ahab, I hate the prophet Micaiah, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always prophesied evil. That kind of hate for a prophet's honesty cost Abinadi his life. As he said to King Noah, Because I've told you the truth, you are angry with me. Because I've spoken the word of God, you have judged me that I am mad. Or, we might add, provincial, patriarchal, bigoted, unkind, narrow, outmoded, and elderly. It is as the Lord himself lamented to the prophet Isaiah. These children will not hear the law of the Lord. They say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Sadly enough, my young friends, it is a characteristic of our age that if people want any gods at all, they want them to be gods who do not demand much. Comfortable gods, smooth gods, who not only don't rock the boat, but don't even row it. Gods who pat us on the head, make us giggle, then tell us to run along and pick marigolds. Talk about man creating God in his own image. Sometimes, 
and this seems the greatest irony of all, these folks invoke the name of Jesus as one who was this kind of comfortable God. Really? He who said, not only should we not break commandments, but we should not even think about breaking them? And if we do think about breaking them, we've already broken them in our heart. Does that sound like comfortable doctrine, easy on the ear, and popular down at the village love in? And what of those who want to look at sin or touch it from a distance? Jesus said with a flash, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. I came not to bring peace but a sword, he warned those who thought he spoke only soothing platitudes. No wonder that sermon after sermon, the local communities, and I quote, prayed him to depart out of their coasts. No wonder, miracle after miracle, his power was attributed not to God, but to the devil. It's obvious that the bumper sticker question, what would Jesus do, will not always bring a popular response. At the zenith of his mortal ministry, Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. To make certain they understood exactly what kind of love that was, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And whosoever shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so shall be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Christ-like love is the greatest need we have on this planet, in part because righteousness was always supposed to accompany it. So if love is to be our watchword, and it must be, then by the word of him who is love personified, we must forsake transgression and any hint of advocacy for it in others. Jesus clearly understood what many in our modern culture seem to forget, that there is a crucial difference between the commandment to forgive sin, which he had an infinite capacity to do, and the warning against condoning it, which he never, ever did even once. Friends, especially my young friends, Take heart. Pure Christ-like love flowing from true righteousness can change the world. I testify that the true and living gospel of Jesus Christ is on the earth and you are members of his true and living church trying to share that gospel. I bear witness of it and I bear witness of the church with a particular witness of restored priesthood keys, which unlock the power and efficacy of saving ordinances. I am more certain that those keys have been restored and those ordinances are once again available through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints than I am certain that I stand before you at this pulpit and you sit before me in this conference. Now be strong. Live the gospel. Faithfully, even if others around you don't live it at all.
Defend your beliefs with courtesy and with compassion, but defend them. A long history of inspired voices, including those you will hear in this conference and the voice you just heard in the person of President Thomas S. Monson, point you toward the path of Christian discipleship. It is a straight path, and it is a narrow path, without a great deal of latitude at some points. But it can be thrillingly and successfully traveled with steadfastness in Christ, a perfect brightness of hope, and a love of God and of all men. In courageously pursuing such a course, you will forge unshakable faith. You will find safety against ill winds that blow, even shafts in the whirlwind. And you will feel the rock-like strength of our Redeemer, upon whom, if you build your unflagging discipleship, you cannot fall. I want to finish with a scripture from Second Peter chapter 3. It says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. May I finish by saying that while we may debate cultural aspects of the church, while we may discuss the effectiveness of certain policies, We ought to be careful in doing so. We ought to be careful in pushing our perspective across as a better, more accurate perspective than the doctrines of the church. In other words, it's one thing to offer up ideas, to have a discussion, to think about and ask questions about tough issues, but it is another thing to tell the brethren they are absolutely wrong about the doctrine of the church. I myself have flirted with that at times. And it's my hope that I can be better. And it's my hope that each of you can be better. Not because I feel threatened or am am afraid because of what's been going on but rather that I now better understand the cost of discipleship. It's my hope, because I fear that many might leave the church at this time. Seeing the example of a few and interpreting it to mean that the church is speaking to the many, I don't think that's the case. And I hope if any of you are listening who are, who are feeling threatened by these boundaries that you might understand there is, there truly is a cost to discipleship.
I bear witness of what Elder Holland said. I bear witness of the things that I've spoken about today. And it's my hope and my prayer that each of us might come closer to Christ. Not the Christ we imagine, not the Christ we create in our mind, but the real Jesus, the real Savior. A God who loves us so immensely, but also ask of us to do tough things. Hang in there. Believe. Have faith. And may the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Shoes.